Welcome to Live with Greg or Live with Greg, depending on semantics. <laughs> All right, so we're here with the final episode of season nine with Reverend Connie Hadash. Yeah. Did you say that right? Good right. enough. All right. <laughs> this has been a long time coming. <laughs> yeah, but over a year? I think over a year I when I contacted you. Yeah. It might have been pre-COVID even. I'm wondering if it was like, was it? It must have been because like we have not ago. had a discussion about like, oh, put it off because of COVID. Or, like, I contacted you and things just... Yeah, just things were like, yeah. Didn't line up. Right. And now they have. Now the stars have, have aligned. <laughs> yes. All right, so that's a great note to dive into because I know you as the nature woman. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would like to live up to that. <laughs> well, I think you have. Mm. Um, from what little I know. So, nature, how does nature influence your life? <sighs> Deep breath. <laughs> because when I just think about being out there in nature, out, out in the redwoods near where we live, right, I just relax. Like everything in me goes, ah, oh, this is home. This is where we belong as human beings. But it's funny that we, and sad, that we don't think of that in that way, that we belong out there in nature, that it's our home. We think of it as, oh, I'm going to leave my house, my home, to go out into nature. Like, it's an adventure. It's something I don't normally do. Um, and this planet is where we belong. It is our home. We belong amongst the trees and the squirrels and the birds and the crashing waves. We are, like, our DNA comes from that, right? And our ancestors were intimately connected with nature. And so when I, when I really want to re rejuvenate myself and restore myself to my, my center and my ground and my divine being self that's where I go because I think it brings me back to my recognition that I'm part of the everything and we all are but we've lost sight of that we've gotten disconnected from the divine disconnected from nature and um, from each other and even from our own essence you're a healer well, I guess you could call me that. I mean, I'm a psychotherapist. Um, I'm an ecotherapist. So I take people out in nature for that. Um, nature being my co-therapist in supporting people in their healing and transformation. Um, I'm a yoga and meditation teacher. So I think all of that is, is healing, yeah. Yeah, it is. Those are all realms of healing. Yes. And it's interesting, this twice now while you were talking, one of my best friends works with... Uh, young girl who's I'd say spectrum autistic mm -hmm. and she hugs trees like to calm down like nature go into water is one of her ways to chill out absolutely and I'm not an expert in people on the spectrum but my sense is about them and about all children uh, is they can feel energy 
whether or not they are consciously identifying that as what they're doing or, or whether they're intimately aware, like I can feel what it's like to be around this person and what it's like to be in this place. And, and so taking them out in nature, my understanding is, um, really helps them ground and feel connected uh, to everything and, and even maybe to people as well, but certainly to um, the natural world. And it touches something in them. They can feel that this is alive and this is present. And so I can be alive and present here too. What have you done in your home to have the qualities of nature alive in it? Well, um, we have some plants around here. You can't really see them. You can see this one down here. Yeah. Yeah. This is my daughter. She's, she's very much into growing house plants. Um, and we did used to have a pet, but she did pass. Actually, the last one was a he. We've had two cats. Um, but I think a lot of it is with stones, actually. On my desk, I have a river rock. And I use that a lot when... I'm um, teaching ecotherapy online or leading people in deep nature connection practices online um, because that's something you can have readily available. You can put it into your hand, you can hold it, and you can feel a connection to something from, from the earth. And it's very grounding and centering and calming. I find the, like the weight of it very calming. Um, so I do have like a number of rocks and crystals, yes, but... Um, I'm really trying to connect to the energy of nature that way. So, like, having a plant by my desk, having the river rock and some other stones. Um, and then I'm sit, I sit by um, a big window that faces out to the front yard. And so out there I see a big oak tree and a pine tree, and I can watch the birds. I connect a lot to birds. Um, so those are ways that, you know, even just opening the window and feeling and smelling the air from outside and maybe a little bit of a breeze or feeling the sun coming in and hitting my legs or my arms. Those are all different ways that I bring nature into being indoors that we can still keep that connection there. Do you feel a difference when you go into the city? I do. I do. And ever since I was little, I've had a hard time being in cities. Um both for the somewhat disconnection from nature there. There's not, depending, of course, like if you go to Golden Gate Park, you know, you feel feel nature a lot more present there. Um, And also the concentration of lots of people's energy. um, I've always found a little bit difficult to manage. I'm what you would call a highly sensitive person or an HSP, uh, an empath. Um, so I definitely feel what's going on around me. And so when I go into the city, um, which is fun and exciting, right, I, I make sure that I'm practicing things that I know will help sustain me during that time, whether I'm staying for a weekend or whether I'm going in just for a few hours, like um, grounding, connecting to the earth, like staying in my core and my center, rather because if I'm not, then I'm more easily kind of blown about by what's going on around me. And keeping a sense of an energetic boundary um, so that I can discern what is mine and what is not my energy and so I don't take on everybody's stuff. Is yoga a practice that you found helps you stay connected to your core? Absolutely. Really? Absolutely. Um, 
it slows me down and that's a really important thing you know I'm talking slower just talking about yoga um, that's a really important thing for me because I can get really like boop, 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 you know and all excited about things and running around doing things um, and and then I sort of lose a bit of that rooting feeling like a tree has or like a, a boulder I just wrote a blog about an oak tree and a boulder so it's really <laughs> on my mind um, and so yoga slows me down and it brings me back into my body because a lot of us spend so much time in our head especially in this day and age because um, computers, the internet, social media phones, texting, all of that is a very mental um, thing that's happening I mean it's not really happening, there's not like a I'm, I'm, I'm writing a letter and handing it to you, you know, it's, it's all happening energetically through impulses and pixels, right? right. Um, and so it's very heady. And even me seeing clients online and leading things online, it's still very much kind of a, a head-like medium that we're connecting through the computer. So when I do yoga, I come back into my body, I come back into my breath, I feel what I'm experiencing in my body. A lot of times we can go through a whole day or even days, like some people could go through a whole week of work and not even know really what's going on in their body other than, I'm really tired, I want to go to bed, I'm hungry, or my shoulders feel really tight, right? Um, so that I come back into my body and I feel, oh, this is what I'm feeling here in my stomach. This is what I'm feeling in the back of my neck. Um, this is what I'm feeling in my legs today. And those are all messages for me. Our body is trying to give us messages all the time. And I believe that it's messages from our soul or our higher self, our divine essence, however you want to call that, um, of things that we need to pay attention to, what we need, an emotion that's up that we need to honor and feel and express and release um, issues that we need to deal with that we're avoiding um, self-care that we're not attending to and the body always through sensation is giving us messages and even communication from our divine essence so when I do yoga I slow down I can feel what's happening in my body and then listen I talk a lot, you know, a lot of my work with my clients and in my teaching, in my book, um, is about embodiment. Because in our bodies, uh, not only do we do become aware of these things, but it's in our bodies where we're living in this present moment in time. And if we're not here in this present moment in time in our body, we're missing a lot of this precious life. That's a lot to unpack. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Because partly I thought of those, uh, the doctor I was mentioning to you earlier did a lot of work, got into the element he himself didn't, but he was studying the experiments with a gentleman who could put skewers through his bicep oh, yeah. and things wow. of that nature yeah. and not feel any pain. Yeah, like amazing. The, huh? Right. So there is an element even from Course in Miracles for myself, part of my own struggle with understanding is the body and the mind and how much of our 
body biology is a byproduct of our mind and how much of it is a communication from a higher power, a higher intelligence. Yeah, and it can be either. You know, and so being attentive to that within ourselves and listening, we learn how to discern, okay, is this um, something from my higher self or from divine intelligence coming through, a sensation? Sometimes I get like chills or energy coming through me like, oh, I'm really feeling something. I'm feeling really deeply connected right now. I'm feeling um, like inspired in this moment. Um, And then how much of it might be from other things going on in me. And yes, our body is deeply affected by the thoughts that we think and the emotions that we... um, I'm not going to say the emotions that we feel, the emotions that we don't allow ourselves to fully feel. Because my experience is that when we are consciously working with an emotion and we allow ourselves to feel it fully without the mind telling the story about it, which is what perpetuates like uncomfortable emotions, and we let ourselves really fully feel it, um, then it has its own natural life cycle like a wave. And it'll you know, kind of intensify, and then it'll wash through, and then something else will emerge. So you just mentioned the passing of one of your pets. In that process of grieving, was that something that you embodied? Oh, yeah. Like really feel it, not push it away, like I yeah. am grieving. And yeah, really... giving myself permission to cry, to feel sad, um, to whatever emotions. I mean, obviously grief is a complicated subject um, because it can bring up a lot of different emotions besides just sorrow and sadness. It can bring up anger, it can bring up betrayal, it can bring up um, guilt and shame. I mean, like you name it, uh, all kinds of things can come up in grieving. But um, with the example of my cat Milo, um, yeah, really honoring um, the myriad of emotions and, and having, um, yeah, for example, guilt. Because, like, did I let him suffer too long? Or was he fully ready to go? Because a, a lot of, you know, animal owners probably know pet... Oh, I don't like to say owners. <laughs> pet companions, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, people, yeah. companions of pets, yeah. um, you know, go through that struggle at end of life of, like, okay, do I let them die naturally? Or do, I, do we do euthanasia? And at what point? And how do you know? And it's a really big struggle. It's so hard to know because you can't, can't talk in words. They can't speak in words to you. You can only go by maybe your intuitive feeling. Maybe you have it. Some people have a sense of communicating with them in, inwardly. But otherwise, we're looking at, you know, are they having good quality of life? Are they suffering? Are they, what's their behavior? And, and just doing the best that you can. So I, um, I did deal with some worry and guilt about, like, should I do this? When? And, but in the end, um, with him, I think it was very clear the suffering, it was time for it to, to end and he was ready to go. So, a lot of different feelings. <clears throat> so, with the guilt, do you, have you had the experience that that's been healed? That that's... Um, that's a good question. I think guilt and shame, which are a little bit different, are, they're like sticky emotions. I think it's a lot easier to process anger or sadness but guilt and shame kind of like stick with us and um, 
And I think that I've processed through and I've healed a lot of that to answer your question. Um, but for whatever reason, I think a lot of us as human beings have this tendency to plug ourselves back into those. Um, and maybe as old habit or what we learned growing up, maybe we, we developed shame as a response to our environment or guilt. And um, self-forgiveness is so essential. And it's something I'm <laughs> continually working on because I can be, you know, my own worst critic. I've, I'm a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> you know, I've said that for many years. Um, and, and so I can be particularly hard on myself, and I think a lot of us are. And the practice of self-forgiveness and self-compassion is essential because we're going to be, we are going to be imperfect. We are going to make mistakes. It's part of the human journey. Um, and so I think the goal is not to become perfect. I think a lot of us uh, get caught up on that, especially on the spiritual path, like trying to achieve some mm-hmm. state of spiritual perfection. <laughs> yeah, Bodhisattva. And now I'm, I'm like, I am enlightened. I am done, yeah. right? Yeah. And I don't, I think that's a big delusion. Um, and so when we honor and acknowledge that it's it's a process and we're going to come back to like these mistakes we make along the you know we trip along the path sometimes um, and that self-compassion and self-forgiveness are part of that growth and that learning and and truly beautiful when we really can begin to hold ourselves in our heart with that love and acceptance and caring and understanding that we so long for when we can start to do that for ourselves then it's always available then we can always choose that even even if we forget sometimes like oh I can choose self-forgiveness right now and self-compassion. Were your parents supportive and open to the spiritual realm in this realm that you... (laughs) (laughs) Ask a hard question. (laughs) Um, uh, Well, just to give you an example, um, in my... I guess I was in my mid-twenties when I, like early to mid-twenties, I think I was 24, 25, I think I was 25 when I first started learning yoga. And a couple years later, I, I knew I wanted to be teaching yoga, and I shared this with my mother, and her response was, can't you do anything better with your time? My mother was, you know, bless her heart, and she passed away, I think it's been five years ago now. Um, She was a pretty critical person. Um, I guess she herself was a perfectionist and a traditional conservative. I grew up in conservative Orange County, Southern California. and so, and she was also not a, what would you call it? Uh, the word that's coming in right now is an explorer, but like she didn't question things in life. She wasn't curious about like understanding herself or why, why we're here or what God is. Like she just accepted everything <clears throat> I think that she grew up with as wrote or what her beliefs were that she 
grew up with, that that's the way that it is. Because um, I remember one time, I think it was shortly after my father passed, I was 21, and he passed away and we were in a fight. <laughs> and I said, Mom, don't you ever question who you are, like wonder who you are? And she's like, Connie, I've never questioned who I am. And I'm like, oh boy, <laughs> we're in completely different planets, you know, because that was always my journey from a young child is what is life about and who am I and what is God and what does all this mean and what is death and why do we die? You know, like I always wondered those questions and then I would look around at why aren't other people asking these questions? Why is no one wondering about the elephant in the room, like the big right. things in life? To me, they were the, and I think they are. Yes. You I know? Um, so that's her. And my father, he was a little more open he was a little bit more curious. Um, he was very much into personal growth. Um, so he was always wanting me to listen to these like personal growth tapes. And I was always like, <laughs> like leave me alone, dad. You know, I was a teenager, like, oh God. Um, and of course, what do I become? I become a therapist. <laughs> but um, he was a little more open and, and, and interested in what my journey was and what I thought. And, and in fact, he got me into personal growth workshops, um, like at age 19 and 20. So we had a couple years there where we were starting to get a little closer and he, he was starting to open up to me and we were beginning to have what I thought were more real conversations. And I feel sad that he passed before we really could get close. So, um, but he was, you know, also conservative, grew up that way. And I think it took him a long time to begin to open and realize, oh, there are other ways. There's other ways to respond to life and to respond to people in my life and um, to respond to myself, to how I treat myself and talk to myself because we all have self-talk. You know, he, he was really interested in that. And he was spiritual, though it was more traditional conservative Christian, but um, he was spiritual and I think he did think about those things much more than my mother did but uh, you know with him it was another issue of a he was a workaholic and so I didn't feel like I ever had enough time with him uh, and he died when you were pretty young yeah 21 yeah. so yeah I feel like um, sad that I, I missed out on a time when we really could have started connecting you know I was just starting to to grow up and really look deeply at myself. Well, you said that you always felt this affinity to energy, even from a very young age, correct? Yeah, I think it was, I was sensitive, although I, I wasn't aware that that was what was going on. I just knew I didn't really like being in the city. I didn't really like being around a whole lot of people. Now, some of that is because I'm more of an introvert, um, but some of it was, in re retrospect, looking back, that I was sensitive and aware to what was going on with people. So I'm curious about your path from like the six-year-old you mm. to who you are now. Big Could, question. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, um, did you, so, because you had conservative parents, was there, as you were thinking of who you wanted to be in career like in your late teens and 20s, 
were you always aware that you wouldn't have a traditional path the way your parents saw a tr- traditional path? Yeah, pretty much. Although I didn't, I never, <laughs> I never would have guessed that I'm doing what I'm doing now. I like when, when I was a teenager, I don't, I didn't know what yoga was. Um, I didn't really understand what a psychotherapist did. Um, hadn't heard of meditation, you know, not, not any of this. Um, connecting to nature, yeah, I was Girl Scout, but we didn't really actually spend that much time out <laughs> camping or outdoors in nature, and I didn't understand about really having a deep relationship with nature. Um, so, what did you ask me? <laughs> what, did you know that you wouldn't be on that traditional oh, path? Oh, yeah, or? I did, but, you know, at the time... It was all about emotions and my imagination back then. I spent a lot of time. I had a very rich um, internal life of, you know, um, daydreaming and, and things like that. And uh, so early in college, I actually was very interested in acting. Um, and so I studied that most of my freshman, like all of my freshman year, I took an acting class. Um, but when I sat with it and the reasons why I was drawn to it, um, one was that I, it gave me a way to express different emotions and express myself fully and freely and, um, and try on different things, you know, being a different persona. But I realized that I, I didn't really want to live the life, life of an actress. I didn't really want fame. It's like I feel really a lot of compassion for people who are famous because there's no privacy. There's, you know, it's a difficult path. Um, I didn't want to deal with all the rejection that I know you have to deal with in the, in the acting world. And I didn't want to be in a world that, honestly, there's there's a lot of suffering. You know, there's a lot of drugs and, um, you know, uh, sexual abuse and all kinds of things that go on, right? And, and so I knew, okay, that's not really what I want to experience. So why was I drawn to acting? Well, I was drawn to acting to like I said, to feel and emote and everything, and, and that I want to reach a lot of people. I came to realize I want to be able to make a difference in other people's lives. I want to touch their lives, like a good film touches me. Um, so then I'm like, well, okay, so what can I do to help people and, and really help touch their lives? And when I circled back around with psychology, I had taken an intro to psychology class, um, actually while I was a senior in high school, and I realized it, it brought in a lot of different things. Um, it brought in understanding culture and, and history. It brought in certainly, you know, helping people. That's what it's focused on. And understanding ourselves, why we do what we do, how we can change, how we can be happier, how there can be less suffering amongst us as human beings. Has any of that neuroscience, like the recent, let's say, past six to ten years, have you studied that at all as part of your... Um, not a lot, but I, I do find it interesting, and I have read some studies about about forest bathing, because that's of particular interest to me. Um, but I'm, I appreciate the kind of research that's coming out on neuroscience and a lot of different things like that. But my orientation has always been very experiential. So what works in my life and what do I see that's working in person live when I'm with a client or when I'm leading a group outdoors? What do I see really moves them and helps them transform and helps them shift perspective? So 
for me, it's always been from my experience and my hands-on experience and my clients' and students' hands-on experiences of what works. And sometimes I'll do some research to see what research has been done on those things, but primarily I'm sticking with what speaks to my soul. Right. And you mentioned forest bathing? Forest bathing. <laughs> right. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so um, there's actually a lot of science behind why being out in a forest, and I'm not good at quoting mm -hmm. experiments or things like that, why being out in a forest um, is so good for our well-being that it's been shown to reduce the depression anxiety, it improves sleep, it reduces stress, um, it helps with all kinds of physical ailments. Um, they have found that there's certain um, phytochemicals that the, the trees and the plants emit that um, have an effect on our physiological being. Um, all of that is really exciting for me to learn about and then share with people is there's, yes, there is um, evidence, evidence-based uh, research or evidence-based practices that make a difference for people. Um, but I think what I care most about and what the people I work with care most about is having the experience and like, oh, this really touches me. This really calms my system. I just last month led a weekend retreat at Mount Madonna Center, which is up in the Santa Cruz Mountains in the Redwoods. And we spend a fair amount of time outside with kind of nature meditation, so to speak, and, um, and also going into the forest and spending time in the forest in silence, um, in, with using our senses, and, and then just sitting there and allowing nature to come to you, allowing yourself to receive what you're seeing and hearing and smelling and feeling on your skin. And consistently people talk about how they hadn't been that calm and quiet maybe for years that um, they became aware of what they were feeling in their body in a new way they began to feel a connection and a relationship to the land that they hadn't even considered before uh, that was more like they coming back to how we started this conversation they belong like this feels like home which means it feels safe it feels um, like I'm a part of me and it's a part of me and I'm a part of it um, sort of like a parallel path question to because we're now in autumn going into winter and I'm really been contemplating that natural energetic going in yes slowing down and it's interesting to me that along with that comes these um, traditions of the shadow side of humanity an acknowledgement of that so I guess I'm asking one from your yes that you just said it sounds like the you're absolutely aware of that energetic... The seasonal shifts. shifts. Right. They're so palpably impactful. You know, even if we're not paying attention to it, uh, 
people naturally feel like they want to curl up in a cozy blanket and kind of um, hunker down in their house and get warm and, and have comfort, you know, because it's getting colder and it's getting darker. And the shift with obviously the leaves falling, I mean, that's something that we all notice. Even in the cities, there's usually some trees and people notice that that's happening. Um, but it is the time of going inward. And it's, it's really neat that you bring up shadow because as it gets darker, we have the opportunity to become aware of the things within us that we haven't been willing to look at. And that's not just bad, quote-unquote, things. That's also good things that we're overlooking, that we're not really listening to, that we're not really seeing within ourselves. But people don't realize that the shadow, as Carl Jung conceived of it, um, included positive and negative things. It was whatever we weren't willing to see in ourselves. Um, and so this is a great time for looking at our shadow self, um, which is you know where those things within us are hiding, the, um, the parts of ourselves that are hurting and calling out for healing, the parts of ourselves that um, are wanting to express and come through us in a new way that we haven't allowed. Maybe we think, oh, I'm, I'm not good enough to do that, or I'm, you know. Um, and it's also a great time to work with dreams and to pay attention to what might be happening in our dreams. Maybe we're sleeping, hopefully, I'm hoping that some of us are sleeping a little bit more at this time of year because most of us are chronically sleep deprived, you know, so with more nighttime, um, there's all kinds of things. The the whole theme of the leaves falling and, and the letting go, releasing, grieving process Autumn will tend to bring up for us again and again cyclically, and, and that's healthy. All of nature needs to do that releasing every year because that compost is what feeds the life again, right? So the process of us learning to release and let go um, as a part of our regular well-being is important and necessary and letting the season remind us of that is really helpful but there are cultures there are african cultures that every week their community or tribe has a grief ritual they have a grief ceremony for people to release what it's not just people who've died it's like whatever uh, sorrow or whatever is painful that they need to let go of that's healthy right. um, because that returns us to joy we can't really experience our full joy if we're holding on to or repressing our grief or sorrow or other painful emotions have you found anything that I would say is a toolbox like that you could share that you found helps to look at the shadow, look at, like you mentioned earlier, of guilt and how sticky it is. And I would say that's in the shadow realm because it's not life-affirming, it's life-tearing apart in a way. Yeah, I agree. So are there things you could share about exploring one's shadow? Like, um. So it's a positive outcome. Exactly. Of it. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, first of all, 
when we're exploring our shadow or any um, any parts of ourselves, because um, I, I believe and experience a lot of different parts of myself, and other uh, we all have you know like younger parts of ourselves and wise parts of ourselves and you know, the, the mother or father or the business person part of ourselves, or, you know, we have many different hats that we wear in life, but, um, so the shadow is a part of ourselves and it can be a very powerful ally if we allow it to be, is to remember there are no bad parts. There are no parts of ourselves that we should get rid of or are unworthy. They're all important. It reminds me of, um, I just spoke about this recently um, at a talk I gave at, at uni, um, and I wrote it in a blog a while back, but I was talking in there about this very issue of the tendency to cut ourselves up into pieces that we like and that we don't like, and that that's doing violence to ourselves. And instead, there's this Buddhist practice, which I find really interesting and helpful, and I hope that I'm understanding it correctly because I'm not a certified Buddhist, but it's called feeding the demons. And um, so that these some of these inner parts of ourselves can be seen like these demons, and they can seem scary or um, threatening um, or bad, but they're really just parts of ourselves that are in pain. And so feeding the demons is, is giving love and care to these quote-unquote demons. That's the projection we put on that part of ourself. And when we do that, they begin to heal because those parts of ourselves, all they ever really wanted was acceptance, love, compassion, <coughs> understanding, right? Um, and so they begin to transform, and the Buddhists say that then they become your allies. So if we can begin to look at ourselves and all parts of ourselves, whatever's coming up, whatever emotion, whatever part of ourselves we're perceiving right now, um, it needs to be fed with that love and care and understanding and compassion. Do you do that in the outer world as well? Like without... Going deeply into it, our pro- political realm is very charged right now in the United States. Yes. So, yeah. are you able to see uh, everyone involved in the political scheme of things and, and give love to all of it? Like, that's a part of us. That's an important part of our wholeness. Yes. And I can. Um, I, I often have to do a conscious shift to get into that place because I can like anyone else going to get into judgment about I don't agree with them and they're wrong you know like all of that um, but then I can make a conscious shift into seeing their you know same desire as anyone else's to be happy to be loved to not suffer um, a lot of times to simplify with saying the right and the left have differing views, but they they have differing views with the very same intention behind that view. Mm -hmm. They want to feel safe. They want to feel um, accepted. They want to feel free. But they come to completely different conclusions to support that desire. Uh, So I can see that in common with those people who have a different 
um, viewpoint than I do. And I think that that could be helpful in starting to bridge the spaces between um, people of differing political views, faiths, etc. is what are the things that we have in common, the common goals, and to ex- to be willing to listen to each other about how we came to those conclusions of, of how that would give us that safety or that fulfillment or that security or happiness or whatever it is. Oh, we've covered a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've, we've made quite a journey together, Craig. <laughs> you ask big questions, and those are the ones that I like. So. Um, well, is there anything that hasn't been brought on the table that you'd like to bring up? Yes. Um, for me, a foundational practice um, and a foundation for any of the things that I've been talking about today, whether it's being, you know, working with your shadow or being with your emotions or deeply connecting to nature, finding your, becoming embodied, finding your inner calm and peace, which is a big part of my work on myself and the work that I do in the world, is becoming fully present being present here in this moment uh, with myself, um, with you as we're doing this together, um, with the tree that I might be sitting by or the rock that I'm holding in my hand. It's coming into this present moment and that means I'm letting go of the story that I'm telling in my head because we're all quite often narrating life. We're telling stories about myself and about the other person and about the bills that I have to pay and about that job and about what that person said on TV and about what happened last week and about the test I took yesterday. You know, on and on and on, right? And we're constantly telling stories and narrating and then we're creating our experience based on that story, right? A lot of people say you create your reality. Well, what I say is that you create your experience of reality. You know, the, the, my reality right now is I'm holding this mug, but, you know, I could tell all kinds of stories. I could tell, like, oh, that mug was made by my grandma. It wasn't, but, you know, and and and, um, and she put all this love into it. Or, or I could say, oh, I used to have a mug like this, and I broke it. It was my favorite mug, and I never, I'm so mad at myself for doing it. Like, it's still the same mug in my hand. Right, right. Right, or, or, um, the yeah. tea so, that it holds. Or. The tea that it holds or like, you know, oh, I'm not good at making tea. Like, I can tell all kinds of stories. It's the same. This is the reality here. But the story we tell ourselves creates our experience of it. So when we become present, we recognize I'm, I've been telling a story, whether it's about myself or anything else, and I don't need to tell that story right now. I can let go of the story, and it doesn't mean that the mind will necessarily become completely silent, because anyone who's tried meditation is like, I can't stop my thinking. Don't worry about... I tell people, don't focus on trying to stop the thinking, because you know how it is when you focus on trying to stop something, all you're focused on is that something, right? right? right. But rather to shift to, okay, rather than telling the story, and rather than paying my attention to my thoughts... I'm going to bring it here to this moment now. The feeling of the warm mug on my leg, uh, the feeling of my hands on the smooth, um, you know, uh, what do you call it that you put on 
Um, the, the glaze. Glaze, yeah, right, on the mug. Yeah. Um, the smell of the tea. Um, the feeling of the wood at my back from this chair. Um, being here with you and having eye, t- eye contact with you. Hearing the sound of my voice or your voice. All of those are they're sensory oriented and they're very present oriented. And I'm not telling a story about what any of that means or if I like it or I don't like it. I'm just being here with it and I'm letting my heart open to that to the best of my ability Um, and trying to be in my body with that. Presence, um, and some people, you know, refer to this as mindfulness, um, but the tradition I've learned and we call it presence, um, it's the beginning and the foundation of everything. It's the beginning and the foundation of real connection. It's the beginning and foundation of creating change, whether in ourselves or for someone else. Um, It's the beginning of really feeling the presence of the divine within us and around us. It's coming into this present moment. And it's the beginning of fully living life. You know, live with Greg, right? (laughs) That's what this is about, is, is fully living, is being right here in this present moment now because we're living a constant present moment. That's all we have. And if we are missing those present moments by being up in our head or being telling stories, um, we're missing the beauty and the possibilities and life itself because it's living here now. Okay, so how do you integrate that with planning, like, oh, Greg's showing up, I never met him, and um, the planning aspects of the future? So I still do some planning. Um, I still write out my workshops that I teach. I have an outline. Um, When I'm going to speak somewhere, I write it all out. And I might refer to it from time to time, but a lot of times I just, especially if I'm teaching, sometimes I just like let it all go because something else is emerging in the moment. Um, so there's a balance to that. We, we have a mental faculty to use in a helpful way, like planning. Um, but we're, if we're obsessively planning and always doing that and never here in the present moment, then what is all that planning for? That, that just reminded me, because you mentioned acting earlier, mm-hmm. that <clears throat> I think great performances are created because of all the work that went in, but, and then the moment of performance, it all... They surrender. Right, and it's right? there. They so, trust that it's in here now. Right, right, exactly. It's in here now. Right, right, right. So maybe that's... That just occurred to me plan. Okay. Is there more that you would like to say about that? Because I have a concluding question, but if we are concluding, then there's no... I could probably say lots of things about it, but um, it's, it's easier when I have a focused question. <laughs> well, I only have this concluding question. That's great. Let's trust that process. Okay. Trust the process. That's, okay. a, that's one of my favorite mottos is trust the process, trust the divine. Uh-huh. Um, that everything is, you know, we have what we need within us right here in this moment, right now. 
really right in this moment right now. If we get at the stories out of our way, we'll be able to access it. Um, so, yeah, what's okay. the concluding question? So, if you had an ability to tell the sorting hat which house you were going into, <laughs> which house would you go into? I know what house I'm in. What, what? Hufflepuff. Ah. Is it not obvious? I mean, come on. <laughs> I know I'm a Hufflepuff. It's obvious. My daughter got me into that, and, and she knows she's one, too. Um, so I don't... I, like, the sorting hat would clearly know that. I, I would not worry about the sorting hat. No question. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So... <laughs> I think that's it. Give you all a big Hufflepuff hug. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Greg. This has been um, really moving and beautiful. Oh, thank you. Delightful conversation. You ask great, great questions, and you're present. Thank you, and a happy holiday. Thank you to you and all of you.